Are you anticipating Christmas yet? I mean, we've been counting down the days, haven't we? Today is Christmas Eve. Okay, thank you. You know what that means? We're hours away. We absolutely. I mean, we are literally hours away from Christmas, from opening the doors on Christmas, from seeing all the things that Christmas is really about. Now, I don't know about your family traditions and all the things that you do around Christmas, but around our house, we generally have a nativity scene up. Do you all have a nativity scene? Oh, we, we generally have like a little barn and, and we have all the little characters and, and we put them up. It's on the fireplace above the mantle and we look at it and, and we try and remember the reason for the season. Jesus being right there in the barn with the, the star and all the smiling animals. Now, there's a problem with my nativity scene tonight and the problem is that I'm missing all of my characters So I'm hoping tonight that we can pick up the characters of the nativity scene and we can walk through the story of Jesus together. And at the end, uh, I want you to see if you can find the word that really binds all of these things together. So this morning, we're going to, or this this morning, I'm used to preaching in the morning. Can you tell? Tonight, tonight, we're going to walk through the nativity scene. We're going to walk through the characters. One of the characters that you you can't miss in the nativity scene is Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's the one, and it says in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 31, that the angel comes and visits her, and this is what he says, Mary, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, as any of us would imagine she would be, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And then this crazy little word, behold, behold, look, notice, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And so here is this young teenager and an angel shows up in her bedroom one night and says, hey, I'm going to make you the mother of the Savior of the world. Is my Mary out there somewhere? Where's my Mary? Where's my Mary? All right, come on up. Give me my Mary. Thank you. Thank you. So Mary was there. An angel had visited her. Behold, you're it. You you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, Mary's other half, his name was Joseph. Joseph. Now, Joseph was going to do the respectable thing. He found out that his fiancée was going to have a baby, and and he hadn't mind being the righteous person that he was, that he was going to divorce her quietly. I'll just sign the divorce papers. I'll slip them under the door to her. She'll sign them. Everything will be fine. I'll go on with the rest of my life. And 
And it's Joseph that has an angel visit him too in order to convince him that everything's cool with Mary. I mean, she's been telling him, no, really, uh, an angel visited me. It's all cool. Everything's good. And, and, and he's thinking exactly what you all would be thinking. Yeah, yeah, right. That's not how this works. And in Matthew chapter 1, we, we hear this word again. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he hadn't mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 23, he says this. The virgin, behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Where's my Joseph? Do I have a Joseph out there somewhere? Yes. I knew I had a Joseph. Thank you. You're the best Joseph ever. I just want you to know. And so there was Mary and Joseph. And maybe you have Mary and Joseph in your nativity scene at home. And there they were. They were both visited. They were both told to look, uh, to recognize that God was in this whole play. And it was time. Joseph had to go and, and there was a census being taken. That mean that they had to leave the comfort of their home and they had to go and travel. Uh, ladies, if, if you have had children, can you imagine being uh, just about nine months pregnant and having to ride for several hours on the back of a donkey? No wonder she gave birth when she got there. There she was, traveling on a donkey all the way to Bethlehem. And she had to be there in a census. And of course, the town was full. Everybody knew it. Joseph hadn't done his job. He didn't, he didn't go to Expedia before he left. And he didn't, he didn't book a room. He didn't get on the telephone. And so they go to the inn. And maybe you know the story. They go to the inn and there's no room. What are we going to do? And so they say, they say, hey, hey, listen, look, there's some place down at the end of the road, and I guess you can go in there, and it was a stable. Now, some people think of a stable like you and I in Iowa think of a stable, like, you know, there's gates and, and a barn, something that looks maybe like this, but it was probably more like a cave, it was probably something more uh, that was dug out in the side of a hill where they would gather their sheep and their goats and maybe a few of the cattle and they would kind of push them into the side of a hill and they would allow them to be safe there during the night. That's probably what this is like. And, and someone has said, hey, why don't you go down to the end of the road? There's going to be a dugout in the side of a hill and there you'll, you'll be safe from the weather. Go ahead and you can, you can birth your child there. Great, go ahead. Isn't that what you always wanted? Your first child, you're all excited. No, no, Mary did not get the new birthing suites, okay? No, she got a, she got a dugout in the side of a hill. 
And I know, I know what we do with all of the, the fancy cards and everything with the animals, and, and they all have these cheesy grins on their face, and, and they have no fleas on them, there's no bugs flying around, no, there's no poop in the stable. It doesn't smell bad with these particular animals, not according to the Christmas cards. But I can assure you that when Mary got there, it wasn't what she always wanted. No, those animals did smell and they made noise and and Joseph more than once probably had to kind of push them out of the way. And it wasn't exactly what she had in mind to to have her newborn baby and, and lay him in a feeding trough. But that's the messiness of Christmas. That's what Mary was told to anticipate. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, verse 6, it tells us a little bit of that story. Chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, talking about while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The king of the universe doesn't come in a palace. He doesn't come. He doesn't come like in a birthing suite. He comes on the side of a hill with a bunch of animals, stinky, ugly, dirty animals to greet him. Where's my Jesus? Where's Jesus? Well, he's everywhere, of course, but you know, where, where is my Jesus? Here comes Jesus. Thank you. And there was Jesus in the dugout, surrounded certainly by his parents and those cattle that were lowing. But there were some others that were there that night. After Jesus had been born, the Gospel of Luke tells us that there were some other people that show up. Some angels talk to them, and there's a a great host of, of heavenly angels. I don't know exactly what that's like, but oftentimes the angels of the Bible are not the angels that are are nice, white, and fluffy that we see on all of the cards. No, actually, many times in the Bible, when someone comes across an angel, you know what their their immediate response is? They cower in fear because they know that they're in the presence of a heavenly being. And here the angels are, they're like, don't hurt us, don't hurt us, don't hurt us. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it talks about these lowly shepherds. Now something that you may not know about shepherds is that shepherds in the ancient world were not very highly thought of. In fact, if you and I went to court and and there was a shepherd on your side that had seen the whole event, he wouldn't be able to witness or testify in court because it was thought that they weren't worthy enough in their position in life to be able to witness to something that was true. And yet in all of that, God and his his uniqueness decides to choose shepherds, lowly shepherds in a field watching over the sheep, perhaps the sheep that would go to be sacrificed in the temple. And God says, I'm going to choose them. Notice the words that the Gospel of Luke uses. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds were there giving testimony of who Jesus really was. Where's my shepherd? Where's my shepherd? Bring down my shepherd. You, you all have a shepherd in your nativity scene? The shepherds were there in the nativity scene. Thank you. And there's the shepherd. And how can you forget the wise men, right? There's always the wise men. For some reason, we always think there's three wise men. We actually have no idea how many wise men there were. There could have been a hundred wise men, but we know at least that there were three gifts that these wise men brought. They're rulers, they're magi from a a far off land. And Matthew's gospel tells us about these, these wonderful people. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, behold, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And all of these characters seem to find a place in our nativity scene, don't they? All of these people we have gathered around our fireplaces and we look at them and we think, oh, what a, what a cozy little scene it must have been. Isn't it wonderful? And yet there seems to be one character that's missing, There's one more behold out there. There's one more word of looking to the heavens to see what God is doing. There's a character that we never put in our nativity scene, and it it kind of bugs me. You see, there's one more behold out there, and it comes in John's Christmas story. Now, some of you are thinking, John doesn't have a Christmas story, Mike. No, he doesn't, not in his gospel. The Gospel of John doesn't record a Christmas story, but John, a hundred years after Jesus' birth, give or take, he records a nativity scene unlike any other. And there are only three characters. There is the woman, there is Jesus, and there is the dragon. Listen to John's nativity story. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with a moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And she was pregnant and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And another sign appeared in the heavens and behold, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head and its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that, she, that he might devour the child the moment that he was born. How many of you have seen that in a Christmas card recently? And at some level, we can look at the nativity scene that John paints for us in Revelation chapter 12, and we can say he's anticipating a spiritual height of something that we never see in our nativity scenes. There's no red dragon on my Christmas card. I mean, can you imagine the Christmas pageants at church? I mean, what little kid gets to be the dragon ready to devour the child? Ah. 
Where's my dragon? Where's the dragon in my nativity scene? People, church, I'm going to challenge you tonight to put the dragon in the nativity scene. I want to challenge you to put the characters, all of them, next to Jesus. You think, I don't want that ugly thing on my mantle. But I want to tell you something. When we read of the dragon, it's not about worship, it's about war. It's not about coming and caroling. It's about conflict. Your life, mine, without Jesus, is always in conflict. And the good news of victory in Revelation 12 is that if Satan cannot defeat, if he cannot conquer Christ the child, he will never conquer Christ the King. You see, there needs to be a dragon in your nativity. Because Satan was there waging war. He wanted Christ. But Christ had victory. In chapter 12 and verse 10 it said, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumph over Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. It's interesting to me that There is only one time in Revelation that John calls Jesus a child. And it's in Revelation 12. Do you know what he calls him the rest of the time? He calls him the Lamb. And in chapter 5, the one that Jed read to you earlier, it said, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The Lamb. The Lamb. That little lowly little Lamb defeats the grotesque dragon. We're going to go into a time of communion. And I want you to think, I want you to think of Jesus, the one who was slain, the one who would defeat the dragon by his own death. Because when we take communion, when we take the little piece of bread 
and we take that little cup and we allow it to pass our lips, what we're saying, what we're saying is, I anticipate you, Jesus. I anticipate you until you come again. And every day, I will remember your victory. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. And Lord, I pray that we would not forget the victory that you have won over the dragon. I pray, Lord, that we will be guided and led and you will help us to see so clearly that you came and were, was, you were born, born so that you might die and died so that we might have victory over the dragon. And we pray this all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.